4: Join the conversation. Call Buck Toll Free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. Sharp mind, strong voice, Buck Sexton.
3: They were grilling Sessions today, everybody. That was, we knew it was coming. They didn't really get very far with it. And uh, Sessions, I think, got in some... Some good jabs him, himself. Uh, Buck Sexton with you all now. A lot to talk about today on the show. Of course, we're going to get into the Sessions hearing. Uh, then we'll talk a bit about uh, the latest with some uh, politics and the agenda of the Trump administration, Hillary Clinton and the email investigation, Megyn Kelly's interview of Alex Jones, and all kinds of stuff that I want to discuss with you today. But, but first, I, I think that Sessions really summed up my sentiment about the entirety of this
2: hearing when he said the following. The suggestion that I participated in any collusion, that I was aware of any collusion with the Russian government to hurt this country, which I have served with honor for 35 years, or to undermine the integrity of our democratic process, is an appalling and detestable lie.
3: An appalling and detestable lie. You're noticing that as these administration figures come forward, whether it was Comey last week, former administration figure, uh, or Sessions this week, uh, the whole Russia collusion narrative is just getting thinner and thinner with each passing day. If you could believe that Jeff Sessions, uh, if you could believe that Jeff Sessions was uh, willing to collude with the Russians to in any way, interfere with the U.S. election, I, I submit that you could believe anything. If someone really thinks that Jeff Sessions is uh, the kind of individual who would engage in any such uh, nefarious and underhanded activity, I mean, put aside for a second what you think of his, his character and everything else uh, and his integrity, which I think is putting aside a lot, but Jeff Sessions? This, this is the guy? that they think is is working with the Russians and is so close to the Russians and all of the stuff we've been talking about here. Uh, there were a lot of questions they were posing about a whole slew of issues. And I have to say, I find it uh, discouraging that with uh, almost $4 trillion of government spending, here we are. That's what the government's budget is, by the way. It's almost $4 trillion, U.S. federal budget. Uh, here we are. The primary focus of our government seems to be senators grandstanding, asking questions and berating the attorney general over over nothing, by the way. I mean, they weren't really able to score uh, any, in my opinion, any uh, hits that are meaningful against Sessions. Certainly nothing that I nothing that I saw. Uh, They wanted to push him a lot on recusal. And this I found fascinating. I mean, Here's what Sessions said about the whole notion of his recusal from the Russia probe.
2: So many have suggested... And my recusal is because I felt I was a subject of the investigation myself, that I may have done something wrong, but this is the reason I recused myself. I felt I was required to under the rules of the Department of Justice, and as a leader of the Department of Justice, I should comply with the rules, obviously.
3: Now, just keep in mind that the, the media on the one hand was saying that uh, he was so he she, He needed to recuse himself, right? They were pushing for the recusal. They're saying he has to recuse himself. And then, on the other, when he does recuse himself, the, and by the way, Democrats of uh, not just the media, Democrats in the Senate of the House, they were saying recusal must happen. Then he recuses himself. And then they're like, well, yeah, I mean, you know, there was that whole recusal thing that you had to do. So there's that. Uh, it, it is astonishing to see how much hypocrisy. Uh, how much politicization and just in general, the, the, the sheer uh, lack of any uh, underlying integrity and uh, for for this line of questioning that he went through for some of the senators who were trying to, I guess, make a name for themselves or push the Russia collusion narrative uh, even further. Um, there was just nothing. Today, that was all that exciting. Uh, they, they wanted to use the term. Uh, they wanted to use the term obstruction, I think, as often as they could. Uh, so they, they push in different ways uh, to try and, and influence the narrative, influence the discussion just with the questioning. Uh, so they, they went on that. And oh, on the notion of being left alone or the his memory of being left alone with the president, Uh, Here is what Sessions said about that.
2: Well, I would just say it this way. Uh, We were there. I was standing there. And without revealing any conversation that took place, what I do recall is that I did depart. I believe everyone else did depart. And Director Comey was sitting in front of the president's desk and they were talking. So that's what I do remember. I believe it was the next day that he said something, expressed concern about being left alone with the president. But uh, that in itself is not problematic. Uh, He did not tell me at that time any details about anything that was said that was improper. I affirmed his concern that we should be uh, following the proper guidelines of the Department of Justice.
3: OK, so pretty
2: straightforward. But
3: then you get to the the question of whether or not there's a problem with this discussion in and of itself. And, of course, the answer to that is no, as Attorney General Sessions said.
2: There's nothing wrong with the president having a communication with the FBI director. What is problematic for any Department of Justice employee uh, is to talk to any cabinet persons or White House officials, um, high officials, about ongoing investigations.
3: So just staying behind, there's no problem. And Sessions is making it clear here uh, that he didn't see anything wrong with this, that Comey, it seems, after the fact, was making a bigger deal of that conversation than he did at the time, which would not be in any way surprising um one of the areas where the senator the democrat senators of course hey, you watch these things and democrats and republicans it's very they have a d or an r and you you know are you going to get questions that are meant to illuminate or questions that are meant to undermine it, it couldn't be any more straightforward uh, but democrats were pushing on whether or not sessions has to speak to them about private conversations he's had with the president now If the president can't expect there to be some privilege of his communications with the attorney general, who 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 can the president have a a private conversation with? I mean, if he cannot seek counsel from the top people around him, uh, it would seem to me that there's there's no point. Right. I mean, then at that point, everything is public record. If you can't talk to Sessions and not have it come out, I mean, everything that's not classified Uh, Would be public record. Uh, Of course, with the uh, there was a whole lot of questioning about a hotel in D.C., and it wasn't even really clear what the Democrats were getting at other than just the implication, the insinuation that somehow Sessions meets with Russians in a sketchy way to do sketchy things because he's a bad guy. Here is uh, what he said
2: about all of that. I did not have any private meetings, nor do I recall any conversations with any Russian officials at the Mayflower Hotel. I did not attend any meetings at that event uh, separate.
3: So they keep asking about these meetings. I mean, one of the two, remember, they were hoping to get him in a a perjury trap here. That's a large part of this. You see all the different angles they're playing. Let's talk Russia collusion. Um, What did the Comey firing? What can you tell us about that? And then also, uh, did, why didn't you talk about your meetings? Uh, why didn't you talk about um, in the past uh, two interactions you had with Russians? One of them was like as public as it gets in front of hundreds of people. So I would think if if Comey I'm sorry, if Sessions was part of a, a an international conspiracy, a, a clandestine. Uh, form of of subterfuge against the U.S. Electoral uh, College, if he was doing the things that people on the left seemed to think he would do, I doubt very much that he would be having these meetings with Russians out in public like that. I just, I doubt it, I have to say. Um, That, to me is getting into a level of crazy but but then again these are people that first and foremost are willing to believe that sessions would have never mind the tactics that he allegedly would have been using of meeting russians in front of everybody the russian ambassador who meets with everybody and sessions was a sitting senator and i you know part of the problem i think here is as we get more facts there's an increasing desperation with the media because they've gone so far on some of these stories with such flimsy evidence that now they're desperate to make it true or they're desperate to at least create uh, some argument, some justification, some narrative where they're not totally over the line, where they're not uh, pushing an, an obvious and, and partisan narrative. Uh, so, yeah, no, I mean, Sessions here is uh, is saying that he didn't meet with, he didn't have any private meetings with Russians. This is not surprising to anybody, I'm sure. Um, and, you know, we'll talk about uh, interference, the alleged interference, in the investigation and also the firing of Comey uh, in just a few minutes. I want to get to those points in a second. But, you know, look, they spent a couple of hours grilling the guy and we get to the why um, they want to push him into making a false statement under oath. That's one thing that's and I do think that this shouldn't be viewed as sport by even Democrats the way that it is. Uh, That they would celebrate if Sessions made what would be a non-material or or unimportant lie under oath, whether it was uh, a statement that was misremembered or however they could construe it, and that they would be happy that a good man like Jeff Sessions, who's the attorney general who served his country for so long, might face criminal charges is is really desperate and pathetic, Um, because you could tell there were people rooting for that today, online and in the media. that's not what they pretend they want, of course. They pretend it's all about just getting to the truth, right? We just want to know what the reality of the Russia uh, election hacking was. We we just want to know what really uh, what really was involved here, and uh, that's not true. They would like to see Jeff Sessions ruined, his reputation destroyed, and possibly even criminally prosecuted for what? Eh putting them under the microscope. They'll find something, you know. You 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 show me the you show me the individual, I'll show you the crime. That's how the Democrats play the game, especially with Trump and all of his people. Uh 844-900-2825 844-900 buck. Want to hear your thoughts on the hearing and everything else going on? We will be right back. One area in which we all Seem to have agreement, including Jeff Sessions, is that uh, there can never be any interference in these uh, investigations and that should never be tolerated. And uh, here's what the Attorney
2: General said about it. I appreciate the committee's critically important efforts to investigate Russian interference with our democratic processes. Such interference can never be tolerated, and I encourage every effort. Uh, to get to the bottom of any such allegation.
3: Yeah, we don't want Russia messing with our stuff, and we should get to the bottom of it, uh, to be sure. Um, That's okay. Uh, I just wonder when we're going to reach the point when we decide that we will no longer uh, continue on thinking that if we just keep pushing, we'll get there somehow. If If we keep pushing, eventually we'll find ourselves in a place where we have this w- wonderful new information that we never had before about the Russia uh the Russia hacking so we shall see um i i doubt that there will be many on the left who are satisfied uh with any of these uh criticisms i doubt th- or rather any of these investigations i think that they will just continue on with their criticisms um i i believe very strongly that they will uh, do everything in their power to extend these investigations as long as they possibly can, and put people like Sessions uh, in, on the hot spot, in the hot seat, hoping that they make a mistake. And uh, this is just this is gotcha politics. But as I said, it's with people's freedom at stake, so it's really bad, uh, and it's disconcerting to see this happening. Now, as to the Comey firing, um, I've got to say that this was uh, this was an interesting. Moment in the exchange today, um, because this is where Sessions was saying, Look, I can't get into all the details of what the president said to me. And uh, Senator Feinstein was displeased,
2: uh, displeased with this. so not, you'd had no verbal uh, conversation with him well, about the firing uh, of Mr. Comey? I'm not able to discuss with you or confirm or deny uh, the nature of uh, private conversations that I may have had with the president.
3: They, they don't like hearing that. Um, it really bothers them, and uh, it greatly uh, vexed some of the senators when they were pushing him on this issue because he's saying, look, there's private counsel with the president. Uh, There's some level of discretion. There's some level of uh, being able to speak, whether in the Oval Office or elsewhere in the White House, about these matters and not have it be uh, a situation where uh, it just comes out in public view all the time. If the president of the United States can't have a private conversation with the attorney general about a personnel matter— uh, then, what is private for the President? So keep in mind here, there's there's no criminal wrongdoing to expose because the President could fire Comey for any reason, and he did. Uh, and yet here we are. Oh, by the way, one other important note, um, there were there before we had the uh, sessions hearings today, um we also had Deputy Attorney General uh, Rosenstein, uh, a g. Rod Rosenstein. He's saying, well, he he addressed a few things. One is, um, he said that there will be absolutely no interference with uh, Mueller in his special counsel investigation. Third.
5: I think in the best case for the president is to be vindicated by allowing this investigation to go on thoroughly and independently. Uh, so I think the best advice would be to let uh, Robert Mueller do his job.
3: The best advice would be to let. Robert Mueller do his job. Um, that's Ryan speaking to uh, uh, that's Ryan speaking earlier today. Um, but Rosenstein uh, was willing to say that uh, he's not worried about any of these. You know, he, he, he doesn't believe these allegations that are out there right now. Um, he, he's not somebody that is going to allow for the firing of Mueller, I'm. I was looking. I'm looking for that sound as I'm on air. These sorry, right now. Do we have that one or no? No. He said sorry. Um. He said that. Uh, oh well, well. Lindsey Graham asked him, and this is what he had to say.
0: Do you know of any reason for cause to fire Mr. Mueller as of this date? No, I do not, Senator.
3: So he's saying that There's no reason to fire Mueller. There were some rumors out there yesterday that Mueller may, in fact, get fired, uh, I think that is uh, incredibly unlikely. (laughs) I think that even Trump would realize that the problems created by getting rid of the special counsel would be enormous. Uh, Those would be big, big problems at this point, unless, as Rosenstein was addressing it here, there was some very, very good reason for it. Uh, Because then you will have just created a a PR, a perception disaster for yourself. So I don't know if you saw that. There were some rumors yesterday. In fact, I saw one on Twitter and I was like, wow, uh, that they were there's talk that Trump is going to fire, uh, that Trump would have the uh, attorney general fire Mueller. That is not going to happen. Remember it would be Rosenstein not Muller I mean Rosenstein not Sessions because Sessions is recused from all Russia related business so that's why we had Rosenstein on all this stuff um, anyway we've got a lot more coming up team 844-900 2825 900 Buck uh, stay with me back in just a few minutes
4: The Freedom Hut rocks online, too. You can hang out with Team Buck anytime. Plus, get Buck's latest news and analysis. Go to BuckSexton.com. BuckSexton.com. That's BuckSexton.com. Are you not
0: entertained?
4: Shields high.
3: All right, welcome back, everyone. We are joined by Rich Lowry now. He is editor of the National Review. He's also a syndicated columnist and a Fox News commentator and the author of Lincoln Unbound. Rich, great to have you back. Hey, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed your piece in National Review, the impeachment war. Uh, Totally agree with your sentiment here that that's what this is all about. But walk people through the argument, if you would. What are the Democrats really trying to accomplish here?
6: Well, I think they're in a a fever, certainly the base is to impeach President Trump. And they're accruing all the possible fodder they can get to do that in early 2019, should they take the House. Now, they're kind of, you know, Nancy Pelosi and other leaders are kind of in an awkward spot, because there are a lot of swing districts they need to win, where making the midterm a crusade about impeaching the president isn't going to play well. So I imagine they're going to kind of play a a cautious, touch-and-go game publicly on this, at least the leadership will. But if they take a a House majority with any comfortable margin for error, I, I see it, uh, I see it being very difficult for them to resist their base, which is in a fever of hatred, loathing and fear of the president.
3: So even on something like, for example, infrastructure, do you think that Democrats, because it seems like impeachment is the overriding goal and the primary strategic objective, you think that Democrats uh, won't even cross the aisle on something like infrastructure spending or will will they do that, but they'll just also, you know, turn around and try to impeach the president anyway?
6: Yeah, I think it's just very unlikely they'll cooperate with uh, anything. You know, maybe if it's a trillion-dollar Obama-esque spending bill, but uh, you know, it, it, the infrastructure plans so far have been a little hazy. But the indications are, it's not going to be that. It's going to be something a, a, a little, at least a little more creative, and they'll find a reason to oppose it. And just I, any cooperation with this president is completely anathema to their base, which has never accepted his election and has been focused on booting him really from day one. And, you know, we live in a partisan time and there, there were uh, Clinton haters and Bush haters and Obama haters, but this is something different. Arguably, we haven't seen uh, loathing this immediate and intense uh, since Lincoln's election.
3: Yeah, I was going to ask you if you think that many in, in the media have, in a sense, crossed a, a, an intellectual and and perhaps more importantly, professional Rubicon here in that they've been saying and, and pushing for so many months that Trump has done these terrible things. They're going to unearth these terrible things, and therefore he must be impeached, that there's a I, I think there's a credibility problem if they try to walk that back, which just adds to the fury and the insanity coming from those who, I guess we call them the resistance or the anti-Trump opposition, but a lot of big news outlets and newspapers seem to have already come to the conclusion, and I think as a result of that, they have to be all in, right? They can't decide at this late stage, maybe Trump isn't actually going to get or shouldn't even more importantly get impeached because they've been telling us for a while he should.
6: Yeah, they, they've been working their way backwards from the conclusion from the start, and you've kind of seen, you know, a not so subtle shift from Russia to obstruction of justice. Not not that they've explicitly given up on Russia; they still refer to it as the Russia investigation. Although you know, the evidence of any collusion uh, is notably missing, you know, every single day. Even though the FBI has been investigating that for about a year, we saw that with. The Jeff Sessions hearing today, I mean, the idea that a sitting senator was conspiring with the ambassador to the United States from Russia on collusion is is just cracked it's, it's literally insane even if there was collusion that's not the way it would have gone down um but they're they're going to try to get them on obstruction and sort of a vague abuse of power and something to do with the emoluments clause pretty much anything they can they can throw yeah, into the they might put
3: account. the Lo- the logan act in there you know there's all kinds right. of stuff yeah, <laughs> exactly. the, the 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 foreign uh foreign agent registration act they're they're gonna have something they're gonna throw they're, something at somebody shoot.
0: Whatever
6: suits.
3: Uh, We're speaking to Rich Lowry, who's the editor of National Review and a Fox News contributor. On the notion of the Trump agenda, Rich, which is a thing that doesn't seem to get nearly enough attention these days, and I would argue not just from the media, but also it seems from some Republicans. Uh, I'm hearing whispers about the Senate finally having uh, their version of the health care repeal and replace bill, or whatever we're going to call it. I don't know if it's a repeal and replace bill, uh, but... What do you think about this? I mean, are we going to get tax reformed on this year? Are the Republicans going to get health care done? Uh, or is this just going to be a lot of promises and then we're going to be in midterm season?
6: Still open question on both. Uh, if you would have asked me a month ago, you know, I would have said much more likely on taxes than on health care. Maybe that's still the right answer. But the Senate is making some progress. doesn't mean they're there yet, but it, it seems as though they're uh, – uh, almost at the first step, which is to kind of get some sort of bill to satisfy the median Republican senator. And then you're going to have to work both ends on the left and the right to, you know, bring bring Susan Collins and Murkowski on board and try to get, you know, Rand Paul and Mike Lee and Ted Cruz. But uh, at least get making that first step is important. And then you can work the individual members and make the argument, look, just Please don't stop this process. You know we need to get it to a conference committee or over the House to have any chance to to get it over the finish line. So there's still you know no one is spiking any footballs in the end zone yet in the Senate, but at least there 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 is some movement there.
3: I have to say it's tough, of course, to really get into the, the details of a of a health care reform bill that we don't even know what it is from the Senate just yet. But my guess is that it will still uh, require. Uh, that there will be pre-existing condition coverage, and that the community rating issue will stay in there, which really means that you're still going to have these insurance pools that are getting subsidized by other people in the pools against their will, i.e. it's not really free market. Uh, do, do, you, do you think that there's any chance that it's better than that, or you think it's probably going to be even worse than what I'm saying? No,
6: it's, it's going to be worse, and I, I wouldn't be surprised, I'm not sure the details on this, but that the so-called MacArthur Amendment that allowed states to uh, request a waiver on pre-existing conditions, that might be Stripped out just because the reaction to that politically was so harsh. But you know, an approach to this problem, which I think every person of goodwill wants to solve, that makes much more sense, and that you know, conservative policymaking um, suggests, is you have certain people who are kind of uninsurable and have you know massive uh,
3: medical bills through. It's a very small percentage own. of the population, right. as I But yeah, go ahead, Rich.
6: Right. So instead of uh, making other people buying who are buying insurance pay that cost. In effect, which is what Obamacare does, and why it's on a semi-death spiral, socialize the thing across all of society, and have taxpayers provide more subsidies. Have for those folks, have taxpayers you know, pro- provide uh, money in through high-risk pools, but then otherwise have a functioning healthcare market. And that's the approach that would make sense. It's not one that Republicans. I'm not sure whether they themselves understand that that's their policy or what their policy should be, but that on the merits it makes sense.
3: To borrow from Office Space, uh, Rich, one of my favorite movies when I was in college, what do you think the answer would be right now to Republicans in Congress if I posed to them the Office Space question? What would you say you do here?
6: Oh, <laughs> uh, that's a great question. Actually, it's a very good question for Congress. You know, pretty much over the last. Decade, it's become an observer to uh, the executive branch, where all the action happens, and and basically all the action happens in the Oval Office, and that's just not how our system is supposed to work. There are a bunch of reasons for for this. You know, one is partisan gridlock. Another is just Congress doesn't like taking accountability. So for decades, it's kind of uh, ceded authority and responsibility to the administrative state, and uh, um, and three, it's just the filibuster it makes it very. Hard to get anything through the Senate unless you have a supermajority, and you usually don't. So, uh, like, like I, why I, is
3: tax reform specifically stalled? I mean, when you ask your friends, your contacts, the people you know in D.C., uh, what are they? What, what are the Republicans? Forget about the Democrats, right? Because that's just impeach Trump, Russia. I get all that. But what are the Republicans saying? Why, why can't they get a tax bill through?
6: Well, one, there's a a big dispute between the House and the Senate over this so called border adjustment tax, which Paul Ryan and and his team is still very attached to, but seems to be about twenty short votes short of uh support in the Senate. And then once you get into the project of stripping away deductions and various giveaways Every special interest is really vested in those giveaways. They are well healed. They hire the best people to protect them, and it gets really difficult. And that's why I think they'll end up doing something on taxes, but it's unlikely to be anything that you could really call tax reform. It'll be a, a tax cut, especially on the corporate side.
3: Not to force you to use any Trumpy rhetoric here, but that sounds kind of swampy. It sounds it's like the, it, right. I mean, it, it sounds like the swamp is the problem.
6: It is, but draining it is. Uh, very difficult. And there is not one lobbyist who's been put out of business by Donald Trump uh, taking the presidency.
3: One more for you, Rich. If they what is your prognostication? And we're we're going to make you predict the future far enough out that don't worry, you know, people will hopefully if you're right, we'll have you back. They're like Rich was right. And if you're wrong, don't worry about it. We'll pretend it never happened. Uh, if the if the Republicans in Congress can't get anything done this year, meaning no health care bill, no tax reform, uh, no funding for the wall in the budget fight that's going to come in, what, September or October? Uh, if none of that happens, do they do they stand a very good chance, you think, of losing the House in the midterms?
6: Yeah, I think uh, – sometimes I can be too pessimistic. I think they have a very good chance of losing the House in the midterms regardless Ooh. because the, the health care bill – it's not popular. It's not going to be popular. No one's made it a, a a public case for it. I don't think anyone is going to make a public case for it. If they get it passed, it'll just be this kind of inside game uh, they're playing. And tax reform is also really easily attacked as you know, just typical Republican tax cuts for the rich. So passing that stuff would be good and politically in the sense that at least it'll it'll provide some motivation for the base and they won't conclude that that these guys are completely worthless (laughs) but i don't think it's gonna be popular with the broader public and you just need trump to be more popular and you know if he he was if he was you know at 49 48 that's that's survivable if he's you know at 40 and dipping that's a that's a huge
3: problem rich lowry is editor of national review fox news contributor check out his latest on nationalreview.com Rich, always great to have you, sir. Thanks for your time. Hey, thanks for having me, Buck. Team, we are going to hit a quick break. We've got a lot more also, uh, including Hillary and the uh, email investigation. Some new stuff there that I want to talk to you about. We'll be right back. For those who think that the investigation into Hillary's emails is uh, is all but, but over, um, maybe not necessarily. It should be noted that once you get into an environment of people uh, who are going back and forth and trying to ensnare each other in uh, legal traps, which is now commonplace in our politics, and I have a I I think it's a moment of... Uh, Bipartisan woe here. It's a shame that this is the case, but Democrats are going all in on this stuff and clearly Republicans are going to fight back. Uh, Judiciary Committee members, according to the New York Post here, are calling for Loretta Lynch to testify on Hillary's emails. Let me just read you a bit from this New York Post piece. Members of the Senate Judiciary Committee are pressuring Chairman Chuck Grassley to ask Attorney General Loretta Lynch to testify before the panel on whether she interfered with the Justice Department's investigation of Hillary Clinton's email server. an aide to Senator Ted Cruz told The Post on Monday that the Texas Republican wants Lynch to respond under oath to bipartisan concerns that she attempted to influence the Clinton probe, an explosive claim made by ousted FBI Director James Comey during his testimony last week. Comey told senators that Lynch directed him to call the email probe a matter instead of an investigation, a move he said confused and concerned him. Well, my friends, uh, this is going to be interesting uh, because we now have Comey on the record and under oath saying that Loretta Lynch told him to do this. Uh, I think it would be well worth it to have Loretta Lynch testify before the Judiciary Committee. I, I think it would be uh, a great idea. I, I think this would be something that uh, all of the, Ameri- uh, the American people should see. Because if, in fact, Loretta Lynch did tell Comey to do that, which is a, a big deal and a big step, she should explain why. Why is this a matter instead of an investigation? And is it normal in the course of a matter for someone to, oh, I don't know, have to stand in front of the American people and claim that there will be no charges filed in the matter. uh, talk about or, or- Orwellian speak here, uh, the matter uh it's it's pretty astonishing, it really is, um as we see this year. it is uh, uh you know i I don't think there are, I don't think the Democrats were expecting that in their attempts to find in their attempts to use comey as a weapon as a uh, as a an implement an instrument against the trump administration that they may run into some of their own trouble uh, and this lynch issue i don't think this is going to go away i thought this was one of the most important parts of the comey testimony last week and Now, why shouldn't she testify about this? If they're going to push so much on why Comey was fired, and if Comey was fired, as they say, as the Democrats say, in part because of how he handled the investigation, uh, why can't we look at the investigation? Well, of course, the answer is we can But this might lead to some uh, this might lead to some exchanges down on Capitol Hill that will be well worth the watching. I didn't think the Sessions hearing today told us all that much that was new other than Sessions is just understandably outraged at the situation of being uh, accused of some sort of collusion with Russia. But I digress. Uh, John in Mississippi on WBUV. What's up, John?
0: Hey Buck, I hate to talk about James Comey so much and uh when they should be doing health care and so on. But I, I'm I'm fixated on James Comey and I'm trying to get inside his mind and I have the suspicion that the Democrats have him under control through some means like intimidation or bribery because uh he did not respond the same way to to Loretta Lynch as uh, he did to Donald Trump in regards to this investigation. And the thing that I want to point out is this new term that's just been introduced to our vocabulary called a tainted leak, a tainted leak. And if my story is correct, I think I got this out of the Washington Post a couple of weeks ago, that Comey was given an email by by the Russians. It was not leaked to the public. It was given to the FBI. It was purported to be a legitimate email between Debbie Wasserman Schultz and an employee of the Soros organization. And the email said one of the other of the people talking communicating was saying that Loretta Lynch was not going to press charges. And Jim Comey presented this email to Loretta Lynch, and she read it and was silent and did not respond to it and announced that the meeting was over. And I'm not sure if all my facts are straight. Maybe your researchers... To get to the bottom of this, if you look at look up the term "tainted leak," you'll probably find this. I, probably I, I will, John, find I'll John, I'll
3: take a look for for this uh, for this tainted leak that you are mentioning, uh, and maybe yeah. we can come back to that on the other side of the break. Thank you for calling in from Mississippi, my friend. Uh, I think there was a tainted leak that affected me earlier today when I was walking under an air conditioner in New York City, and a, a drop of something just sort of hit me in the eye, and I just all I can think about is. That's that's probably not good. Lots of pigeons perched on that on that air conditioner and rust. And so that's a That was a tainted leak for sure. But uh, let let me take a look at at what our caller has asked here about a tainted leak. Uh, And then we're going to move on to uh, a whole bunch of other issues in the second hour, uh, including a well daily caller report. I got a lot. A lot of stuff to get into with you. We're going to talk about Megyn Kelly and the uh, Alex Jones interview for sure. That's definitely coming up. Uh, Very interesting questions raised about that. And we've got much more. So, uh, team, I'm going to hit a quick break with you. And uh, we'll be back in just a few minutes. Stay with me.
4: Freedom Hut rocks online too. You can hang out with Team Buck anytime. Plus, get Buck's latest news and analysis. Go to bucksexton.com. That's dot com. That's bucksexton. dot com. The Buck is back.
3: Welcome back, Team. Uh, I think that it is uh, worth our time to take a moment to think to discuss a bit of what we are not as a country uh, focused on for a few moments here, because while i i just saw i got up for a second uh and and stepped in the other room and i saw on cnn they had sure enough that sessions refuses to talk about some of his conversations with trump so now that's you'll notice that when it is to the benefit of the trump of the of the trump opposition to to think that uh, not answering is bad They go with that. Right. But when not answering, if not answering could clear Trump's name, for example, and they say, oh, no, well, it's classified. I can't answer that question, even if it would mean that we would know much more about Trump and and his whole situation, um, then that's fine. Right. You see, this is all becoming a political litmus test. Uh, The way that people come out of the Comey hearing and their their view of what the most important aspects of that, the most important aspects of the Sessions hearing today. But we don't get much by way of policy debate and dispute. We don't get to hear all that much about what uh, is going on in the country and what we should be doing to try and fix it. And I think that's a great loss. I I think that there's not nearly enough emphasis put on the fact that we have this enormous federal government apparatus. Everyone agrees that the government needs to work better, needs to work smarter, needs to do more for the American people. Uh, And now, doing more for the American people doesn't necessarily just mean do more. They may be doing more in some capacities by doing less, as in the sense of cutting back on regulations and a whole uh, bunch of other areas. Um, But we're not having a conversation in this country about the Trump agenda, really. I know the... Uh, we mentioned before how the Senate is coming up with its own uh, health care bill soon, um, but that's not a discussion that is uh, ongoing. And President Trump is in Mil was in Milwaukee today, for example, and he's in the midst of Workforce Development Week. Let me just this is from a uh, NBC affiliate out in Chicago. President Donald Trump will visit Wisconsin for the second time uh, today. He plans to meet with so-called Obamacare victims, so-called, on Air Force One upon his arrival in Milwaukee. Uh, He will be accompanied by his daughter and advisor, Ivanka, as well as uh, Education Secretary Betsy DeVos and Labor Secretary Alexander Acosta. Trump will then tour Waukesha, I think. Waukesha? Pardon me, Wisconsin. I do not know how to pronounce this county. Uh, Waukesha County Technical College in Pewaukee, uh, with Wisconsin Governor uh, with with Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker, so uh, you know he's also going to be talking about his Buy American, Hire American executive order, which targets the H one B visa program that allows workers from other countries. There's other stuff going on, other than Sessions and and Kislyak and conversations and and all of this. Right, there are other things that really are more important. And that's one of the that's one of the great thefts, in a sense, that's that's happening right now in the country is that we're paying all this and we're paying all these taxes and we have this this enormous government apparatus and this media, uh, this media that can do so much for good and for for ill uh, to get the conversation going in in a direction and to focus us on a certain issue. And we're not even talking about issues. We're still in this Russia collusion nonsense. Uh, you know, We could be talking about jobs, better jobs, jobs of the future. Uh, we could be having a discussion about whether we're really ever going to tackle the, the national debt in this country. I mean, we might as well just come clean and be honest about it at some point. We could have a discussion about Obamacare. There are so many things that we could talk about. Um, as a country, and I mean, I try to talk to you about them here on this program as much as I can without diverting too much from the news cycle, because I think part of my job here, because I sit around reading the news and interacting with people in the news all day, part of my job is to make sure you're up to speed on what the news is, but as I often tell you, the news is just a narrative. It's a curated uh, sense of events, and in many cases, it's just analysis posing as an event, right? It's it's opinion in place of events, uh, and there are some places that have a much bigger, some voices that are much louder than others and 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 all the rest of it. Um, but Trump is still trying to push the agenda. Meanwhile, we're all sitting around still having this sessions this sessions session, pardon me. Um, and there's just nothing that interesting about it, really. Uh, the Comey firing is uninteresting to most people, I think, uh, when it comes to their day-to-day lives. Whether Jeff Sessions spoke to an ambassador in front of hundreds of people or not is not going to make any difference to you to whether you can pay your mortgage and to uh, any number of issues that face you in your day-to-day life. Right, healthcare matters. National security, counterterrorism matters. Uh, immigration, the border matters. trying to get sessions into a perjury trap no that that does not matter, and it's troubling to me that we are in a place as a country where there's just uh, such a an emphasis put on the the part just the partisan mudslinging and and the infighting between the two sides. This is everything. And unfortunately, I think we're forced into this because you can't just sit there and take the punishment, right? The Trump team and Trump administration has to fight back. Sessions has to testify. Uh, But what what the country is really doing, I mean, I know that they say, they tell you that this is all about Russia intervention in the election and this is about whether there was collusion and whether there was a cover-up. But I think a much better way for us To um, put this into context, is to look at this as a a portion of the country that is still trying to come to grips with reality. A portion of the country that is, that they are rejectionists. They are uh, unwilling to accept that Donald Trump won the election, and they must come up with a narrative that says that he did not. They must come up with some means of negating all of it, And that becomes more important than everything else, because everything else that we would like to talk about is therefore tainted. It's like the fruit of the of the poisoned tree. Right. Everything that Trump does, all of the different initiatives, they don't want to see if it works or not, because obviously if it works, then they'll be really upset because then the Republicans will do even better in the midterm elections. They don't want to see if it works. They don't even believe that he has the right to try and make these things work. They just believe that we are living in a time of deceit, that we are living in the midst of a, of a massive conspiracy, and once people who have invested their professional uh, integrity and put their futures into this get this far along, uh, as I was talking to Rich Lowry about this, there's really no way for them to go back. And I think that's part of the problem here they've been they've offered up the conclusion first um right what verdict first trial after the uh from alice in wonderland um they've offered up the conclusion from the beginning there have been leaks here and there to try and bolster that conclusion but all along they've been saying just investigate and give us the truth and we'll um we'll be satisfied at the end of it we already really know where the we already know what the conclusion should be and will be at the end of this with regard to trump and collusion there was none But yet now is when the investigations really, I mean, the special counsel lease is really getting going. And I know Jeff Sessions said today that uh, they will be looking into leaks and they'll be pushing to find out who was leaking what. And we'll see Um, those kinds of leaks, very politicized and targeted leaks intended to harm an administration, tend to be by very senior, I mean, my guess is, uh, would be senior people with access who are... um, Careful about what they do. That is my assumption. That is my guess um, as to who is who's responsible for it. I also don't think that they'll get that far along in, in figuring out much in those investigations, but it's a necessary process uh, because the whole system starts to break down if people can just take it upon themselves to decide what should be public domain and what should not. Um, and uh, we will see. But again, the, my my real point here is just that the country is is losing out with all of this energy and focus. It's like when we discuss climate change and people say, "Oh, well, you know, this is uh, this is um, it's all about scientific inquiry," and, which is not obviously. But one of the problems of such a huge focus on climate change, and I'm trying to draw a comparison here to the huge focus on the Russia collusion stuff. It's not just that I think it's wrong. It also detracts from things that I do think are problems. It also takes resources and time and energy away from issues that I wish would get more of all of those things. It also uh, is something that drains from worthy issues that should get uh, much more in the way of uh, action. On our part, right? So I, I'm very uh, enthusiastic, for example, about research into uh, antibiotic resistant bacteria and new and innovative ways to treat and cure cancer. And, you know, all of that, that's all great. And that's stuff that we should, that's stuff that should be encouraged. And there is a, um, there is a trade off that happens when you invest in, for example, climate change to a massive degree. And it's not even just the investment of money; it's the investment of time and, and perception, and policy focus, and the news narrative. So, by that same, with that same logic, you see, with the Russia collusion stuff, uh, this is a distraction for the whole country, and it's being foisted upon us by people that will not accept reality and. There is damage being done here because there is suffering that the government could address. In some cases, it's suffering the government is responsible for, but there is suffering that they can address. And if they don't, uh, because they're so focused, because we have senators and their staffs all preparing, you know, the the best gotcha question for Jeff Sessions, uh, there is a loss there. There is a harm, and something, and, and we should be aware. Uh, we should be aware of it. All right, eight four four. 900-2825. We are going to switch topics away from all this uh, sessions, hearing stuff. And uh, I want to talk to you about uh, another time when the media uh, had an agenda to push. The media wanted to tell a story regardless of the fact, and people were hurt in the process. We have some follow-up from that case uh, with the UVA fraternity that was slandered by uh, Rowling, well, libeled. By Rolling Stone. We've got an update on that, and uh, also going to talk about Megyn Kelly interviewing Alex Jones and all the fallout from that, and much more coming up. So, no doubt many of you will recall that story of a, uh, of a, this was, I mean, it was a very tough uh, read. Um, and it was Rolling Stone magazine uh, that uh, wrote this story about a gang rape at a fraternity. Um, and uh, I remember reading it. I remember actually talking about it with some friends. And when it happened uh, or w- when it first came out and I and I read the story, I thought to myself, um, this is this just something is not right here. But it was so. Politically charged and it would have been such a an accusation at the time, although some were willing to go out there and say it, but it was such an accusation to to suggest that that uh, uh, horrific, uh, gruesome, detailed description of a of a of a group sexual assault at a fraternity read like something that somebody made up, especially the dialogue after the fact. It just didn't. Ring true, and I know there were some out there uh, who were willing to be the first ones to raise the flag, and then later on, sure enough, I believe it was the Washington Post came out and uh, and exposed that yes, in fact, uh, Rolling Stone uh, was shoddy at, in its reporting; it was worse than that. The whole thing was a fabrication. That that the entire thing was a complete and utter fabrication. But the problem is, of course, they used real people's names and they defamed a fraternity, and they uh, also caused all kinds of problems for the University of Virginia. Well, we have a, a settlement today. Rolling Stone has to pay $1.65 million to the Phi Kappa Psi fraternity, um, and the fraternity had sought a trial by jury and $25 million initially in damages. So they, they did not get what they were requesting here, but they are getting a million dollars. Remember, this was three years ago. This was a while a while back. The, the fraternity says that it planned to donate a, quote, significant portion of the settlement uh, to groups that offer sexual assault awareness education. Um, but so Rolling Stone, it seems here, is uh, is done with that fraternity in terms of the payout uh in november they earlier uh, N- rolling stone paid a million dollars to associate dean arimo who was defamed in the piece i mean arimo was essentially made to sound like didn't care didn't want to know no you know just not not her not her thing not her problem which was terrible when you went back and read this uh and also the writer sabrina aerdle was ordered to pay Arimo 2 million dollars um it's very tough to make a living as a writer, and uh, I don't know a lot of writers that have uh, $2 million in the couch cushions or uh, under the typewriter. So that, then again, I don't know a lot of writers who have a typewriter, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, but the, the, the total cost of Rolling Stone is uh, under, under, th- under $3 million for the magazine. I, I'm a little surprised, actually, that it wasn't more, that the defamation case wasn't higher. But more importantly... That was an instance of agenda driven advocacy journalism that was seizing on a political momentum that was trying to ride the political winds. Because remember, the the campus rape frenzy, uh, which is actually the title of a book and we had the author on the show, the campus rape frenzy was something that was receiving a lot of attention at the time. Um, and they were looking, Rolling Stone was looking for a case, a story that would exemplify this and the culture on campus of, because it brings together a lot of things, uh, white male privilege and the patriarchy and sexism and misogyny and rape culture and all these different concepts, uh, that we hear about so much on campus that, by the way, bear no resemblance, at least to my college experience, in fact, uh, it was quite the opposite. We were told very early on about all of the different, well, the laws and also the campus regulations about all these issues. Uh, and it was you were drinking and engaging in very in risky behavior at your peril uh, at, at my college. And everybody kind of knew it. Um, but yeah, that's, that was an instance of the media deciding that they had a story to tell and if they had to destroy reputations in the process, which remember can destroy lives, you know, once your reputation is ruined, it's not like the old days when you could just move to another town and change your name and start again. I mean, once you are defamed in the way that this Rolling Stone article defamed both that fraternity, well, a number of people, the fraternity, um, the, uh, Dean who was, named in the article uh, that causes very real harm and it's not the first time that the media has gone off in this direction as you will also recall the duke lacrosse case another fabricated although at least there were some under there were some underlying story they just the story was was entirely wrong in the case of uh rolling i mean in the case of rolling stone with uva it was a just an an, an utter fabrication whereas that in the Duke lacrosse case, they took some facts that were uh, in, in no way criminal, but they took some basic facts and then tried to add all these layers or, or went with this story of criminality that uh, completely fell apart. And, uh, and by the way, they should have prosecuted uh, the woman in that case for uh, for false testimony, for false report and false testimony, and, and they did not. Um, that's an aside, but I always think it's interesting when they just figure that they won't That law doesn't apply, right? You hear a lot of people talking these days about perjury and how seriously we have to take perjury. Kind of tough if you were to go back uh, and look at what some of those individuals had to say about, oh, I don't know, Bill Clinton back in the 90s when it comes to perjury, right? Is perjury a really serious crime that should be prosecuted and it's the basis for our legal system or, you know perjury, something that can just kind of, you know, kind of happens. I mean, you know, Bill Clinton just sort of all of a sudden, you know, perjure yourself.
4: The Freedom Hut rocks online, too. You can hang out with Team Buck anytime. Plus, get Buck's latest news and analysis. Go to BuckSexton.com. BuckSexton.com. That's BuckSexton.com. Are you
7: not Shields high. His authoritarianism knows humanity's awakening, and it's moving against humanity on a planetary scale. The great global battle for the future of our species is being fought right now.
6: They call you the most paranoid man in America. Is that true?
7: Absolutely not. A paranoid person will be hiding out in their house, not venturing out in public. I go out there on the street and battle Black Lives Matter, the communists, point-blank range. We talked work, controversies and conspiracies. 9-11. Now, 9-11 was an inside job, but when I say inside job, it means criminal elements in our government, working with Saudi Arabia and others, wanted to frame Iraq for it. Just a fact. Sandy Hook. Well, Sandy Hook's complex because I've had debates where we've devil's advocates said the whole story's true. And then I've had debates where I've said uh, that n- none of it's true.
3: When you say parents faked their
6: children's death, people get very angry. Yeah, well,
7: let's. Oh, I know, but they don't get angry about the half million dead Iraqis from the sanctions, or they don't get angry about all the illegal. That's a dodge. No, no, it's not a dodge. The media never covers all the evil wars it's promoted. All the that big doesn't things.
6: excuse what you did and uh, said about
7: Newtown. Uh, uh, you oh, know it. I, here, here's the difference. I looked at all the angles of Newtown. And I made my statements long before the media even picked up on it. We didn't get any of the really important stuff. What do you mean? We talked about all the important stuff. <laughs> well, here's the big one they always make fun of me. You, know, you probably want to throw this in there. 30 years ago, they began creating animal-human hybrids. Isn't that the big story Megan Kelly should be doing?
3: Uh, wow. That's the promo for the Megan Kelly-Alex Jones interview that's supposed to air this weekend, um, as I mentioned yesterday, I have a little bit of, uh, well, I shouldn't say personal history with, but when I was just getting started out uh, in, in media, well, maybe a couple of years in, Alex Jones decided that I was, I think it was mostly because there was some issue with, I don't know, he he didn't like me. That's all I could tell you. Some of his followers tracked me down, not personally tracked me down, thankfully, but uh, they let it be known that they thought that I was part of the Illuminati conspiracy and I wish, man. Illuminati conspiracy sounds sounds great. I get to run everything, probably live in a really big house, maybe a mansion somewhere. I could I could wear a monocle and uh and have someone drive me around and uh and just rap on things with my cane when I want something. You know, I would love to be part of the Illuminati. I don't know why I all of a sudden turned into like the uh, some sort of uh, Scrooge McDuck character when I talk think about the Illuminati, but it's close enough. Uh so Alex Jones, who Talks about the you know the Bilderbergs and all you know I mean you know uh, information warfare and all that stuff. Uh, he is sitting down or has sat down for this interview with Megan Kelly, which is supposed to air, and this is causing problems for uh, Miss Kelly right now. And, and I, I should also say, sorry, as, as an aside, that Megan was a host at Fox who was always very good to me and was very kind to have me on her show a lot, and and so I, I hold her professionally in high regard i would say that first um at least she was kind to me everybody so that's uh that's something that i thought i should make clear because that always affects my sense of things it would affect anyone's sense of things right if someone's nice to you you're gonna you're gonna be a little more on their side about things um but she's gotten herself into some trouble with this one i know she did her first interview with putin and people said it wasn't uh, it wasn't, uh, I don't know, aggressive enough or she didn't push hard enough, whatever, whatever the criticism may be. People seem to think that it wasn't great. I also think that you, you pull apart these interviews and you know, you're not, you're always going to find people. I remember when Matt Lauer, uh, did an interview of what was it? Trump. And he wasn't, he wasn't hard enough and people just went crazy on him. I'm like, he, well, he just asked him pretty standard questions. Uh, but that wasn't good enough because you're expected if you're on the left, you're expected to ambush people and to do all kinds of bad things to them. So, um, Megyn Kelly's got Alex Jones on. I don't. I've listened to a little bit of Alex's show, uh, Mr. Jones's show, in the past. Uh, I cannot say that I'm a regular listener, uh, but there's some pretty out there stuff going on. Um, and I think what's happened here. Is that Megan uh, realized that this is a guy who's getting more attention really than ever before? My, I think there's a character in Homeland I'm told that's based off of him, um, but I don't watch Homeland, so I don't know. But I've been told that, and I've also been told that he is in real life more entertaining than the caricature of him that is on uh, that is on Homeland. So I think that's interesting. Uh, so the, the TV version of Alex Jones is not as is not as. Uh, uh, engaging, whacked out, crazy, whatever you want to say, as the uh, real-life version of Alex Jones. Um, But she's interviewing him, and now people are upset. Uh, This is Fox News reporting. Megyn Kelly suddenly finds herself at the center of a media uproar over one of her first interviews at NBC. Her sit-down with Alex Jones, radio host, conspiracy theorist, and longtime lightning rod, has sparked intense criticism even before it airs on her new magazine show this Sunday. Uh, The controversy has already prompted one major advertiser, J.P. Morgan, to pull its commercials from NBC to avoid being associated with any promotion for the show. Uh, This reflects a collision between the journalistic imperative to talk to people in the news, no matter how disreputable, and the raw emotion of those who feel brutalized by such a person. Um, Look, this is an interesting discussion. Because, for example, uh, it is longstanding practice uh, with journalists of the I was gonna say the highest caliber, but that's I don't even like just journalists with the largest megaphones, the most well-known, highly paid, biggest reach TV journalists will sit down with some pretty unsavory characters. Right. I mean, do, do you sit down and do an interview with a dictator of a foreign country who's responsible for. Any number of human rights abuses uh do you as a journalist decide that you're not going to speak to the members of the Saudi royal family that you think are i mean the Saudi royal family is really big right but the members of the Saudi royal family most responsible for the human rights abuses and the uh problems in that country this is an this is a discussion i don't have a i don't have a clear answer for you I think that alex Jones is uh too, it w- was too much of a controversial figure even for Megan Kelly looking for a controversial figure, if that makes sense. Uh, I think that they probably didn't realize the depths of some of the crazy that he said in the past. Uh, so they've gotten themselves in a little bit of trouble here. Um, you know, it's interesting that there is a difference between... Uh, controversial press and damaging press and people are finding that out more and more I think that because we live in the social media era where everyone's always everyone in the media is always sharing so much about themselves and trying to push the envelope uh, and we're looking for instantaneous reactions that we get pushed closer and closer to the edge those of us in this business of news and commentary uh, we get closer to the edge without even realizing it a lot of the time uh, because the Competition for attention is so fierce that there's this sense that you have to try to one up people who are willing to go to some pretty extreme lengths in order to get, you know, have on certain kind of guests, uh, position themselves with a certain kind of interview. So I, I think that this is a mistake. I, I think that people view Megan giving uh, on such a, you know, on, on the networks as well, ABC, NBC, CBS. There is this um, sense that there, there's an even greater obligation, I think, than on some other channels, to be careful with what goes on there, right? I mean, I think basic cable does even literally have some uh, FCC uh, regulations that are different, right? So I mean, there's, and I mean, then that's maybe kind of a flimsy argument, but I, I think that there's a perception issue there about how, oh, well, this is going to be on. NBC. And so I know some of you are like, Buck, like MSNBC. I know, but this is on big NBC, right? This is supposed to be uh, for the 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 broadest possible audience in in America. And there is a stamp of legitimacy that giving this platform to someone like Alex Jones, uh, some may at least believe that there's a stamp of legitimacy given to him for for this. The other side of it is, and I I know people take, you know, people make this argument and have been making this all day as well, that somebody who takes the positions that Jones takes, somebody who is as um, inflammatory in his rhetoric and and as I would say irresponsible, clearly, in what he says in his analysis, uh, should be exposed for people to know and see. But, you know, you, you do walk something of a fine line. You know, there's a difference between, and I'm not saying that Alex Jones is, uh, you know, similar to like an Anwar al laki or something, but there's a difference between uh, showing the propaganda of, for example, the Islamic State, so people are aware of it, and like running a loop of the propaganda, right? I mean, the elevation of the message can come from just the uh, repetition of it and giving it a certain platform and the context all matters. I don't, I'm very curious to know what any of you think about this. Uh, do you think that Megan should be interviewing Alex Jones? Um, I'm, I see both sides of this argument. I, I think from a pure reputational and, and business perspective, I think that this is problematic for, uh, I think is problematic for Megan at this point. And that's why I believe she released a statement earlier today. I, I, I read through it quickly. I might pull it out again in the break. Um, but I do think that there are real concerns about, well, is this, is this a stunt? Is, is this going beyond truth-telling to just a stunt intended to get ratings that will uh, anger a lot of people? I mean, clearly, Me- Megan was su- supposed to speak uh, at an event, I know, and she has been disinvited from that event a- as a result. I mean, in the last couple of months, Alex Jones has had to retract conspiracy theories, including in March, the uh, Washington Pizzeria that was at the center of Pizzagate, uh, and then last month to the Chobani Yogurt Factory for saying that it supports migrant rapists who are spreading disease in Idaho. So, I mean, this guy's done some real damage, and, and to have to, in the current media environment, to... Really have to entirely walk back what you say that in this way, and just say, yeah, what I said was reckless and completely false. That's uh, not a correction, really. It's it's an entire retraction. That's um, that's saying something. I mean, that you got to go pretty far to do that, and this guy, I think, uh, goes to that degree. And like I said, I I am uh, personally well uh, well disposed towards Megan with Alex Jones. I mean, I think the guy is just. I think he says really bad hurtful stuff that isn't helpful a lot of the time. Um, occasionally he says stuff, but I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. But that's true if, you know, you can find anybody, right, who says things once in a while. You're like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but for the most part, uh, I think this is this is a loss. I think this was an unwise an unwise move for NBC and Megan in their second outing. But we'll see. The ratings will probably be through the roof. The ratings will I'm sure be huge. I do know that the I th- the highest ratings ever on Piers Morgan's uh, old show on CNN was the segment where he had on Alex Jones. And 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 he, Jones just, just completely blew up on him and went, went crazy. And I have to say, he, he, Jones was actually, for a lot of us that are in a in a position there where he's arguing with Piers Morgan, who decided as a Brit in America who knows nothing about the Second Amendment or even guns to make really his signature issue— gun control and gun banning. So I mean Piers Morgan was on weak uh, intellectual ground and uh, but Alex Jones went nuts on him. So it was it was quite a it was quite a scene team. If you haven't seen it, I'm sure you could go obviously after we finish the radio show, you can go on YouTube and check it out and you'll just be like, "Wow. Alex Jones is yeah. 844-900 buck 844-900 2825. Uh, thoughts on the Kelly Jones interview or Sessions or anything else? Let me know. Well, according to the Daily Mail here, uh, Alex Jones has called Megyn Kelly a cold psychopath with sociopathic eyes who is not feminine, um, so... Yeah. So Jones is being Jones-like here, according to according to the Daily Mail. So there's that. Uh, let's take Jeremy in North Carolina on the iHeart app. What's up, Jeremy?
5: What's going on, Buck? uh Original um, Saturday squad here.
3: Oh, rock and roll. Thank um, you.
5: <laughs> my big concern with Alex Jones being on a network like NBC, even if Megyn Kelly is going to for lack of better words, rip him apart. Um, There's probably a good majority of the viewers of that network who are probably going to believe some of the nonsense that he spouts because this is also one of the networks that has a large viewership of people who think that white police officers leave their house every day trying to figure out how they can kill black men. (laughs)
3: you're referring to the uh, the lies around black lives matter?
5: Yes, yes. And people who believe those lies are probably ripe to believe Alex Jones nonsense. Um
3: I I don't I don't know if that I I don't think that you look, uh, black lives matter is is clearly a group that is going to be is is on the left ideologically and Jones is I guess, roughly speaking, if you have to place him geographically, ideologically, he's on the right. Although, uh, yeah, he got mad at me once because I said on CNN that it's that he's not a conservative. Um, So (laughs) which which I I will say again, he is not. um, And, you know, it's tough because I don't know how much of what he does is an act. It strikes me that a lot of it is. And I know that in court recently he said that it's an act. Uh, So I, I don't you know. Are we dealing with somebody who really believes these things? Are we dealing with somebody who's a performance artist? Uh, Not always clear to me. Uh, Look, I don't know the guy, and I just know his work, and his work is bonkers.
5: Yeah. And I I just know that through day-to-day speaking with different people in different areas— there are people who really do believe the stuff he spouts. And that, and oh no,
3: I know. Right. I, I hear from some of his I hear from some of his uh followers sometimes and they are uh they are not thrilled with me on occasion. But you know, I I um I just keep on doing my thing. Thanks for calling in, my friend. Paul in Georgia on WMCD. Hey, Paul.
1: Yeah, hi Buck. Um I want can you hear me?
3: Yes, sir. We can all hear you.
1: Okay, great. Um, I, I was telling the screener, that I really think, and I, I don't know much about Alex Jones, but I really think this sort of indignation is about if Megyn Kelly interviews him and he's known for this sort of getting on a platform and offending and hurting people through the media, she hasn't taken him out of that element. She's just extended that element. And so to compare him to a, a Charles Manson interview. Well, the only way that only compares if we allow Charles Manson to be in front of a congregation and do the things that he did—that was so repulsive. That's she's just extending his platform by interviewing him and allowing him to continue to do the same things that he's done to hurt so many people. Yeah, I mean, he's so,
3: not—he's not. She's not interviewing Alex Jones in prison, right? I mean, there's a pretty clear context there right. if that were to happen.
1: Right, right, right. So, I mean, he is for those that have been hurt with the. I think there was a school shooting that he you know, said the whole thing was a hoax. I mean, those kinds of things are very hurtful. Well, he's just going to keep doing that very same thing that's so hurtful.
3: Yeah, look, I also can't help but think that there's a, there's a part of a part of this is driven by the desire on the left. Uh, thank you for calling in, Paul. I think there's a desire on the left, and I don't know if Megan is playing into this consciously or not, but to elevate Alex Jones as a bigger player on the right to defamed the right uh i i i know that i was once put in the position on cnn of somebody saying well the big talk uh, talk radio host said something you know said some terrible quote and i said who said that I, I don't know anybody who's big in talk radio who said that and sure enough they were saying that you know alex jones is one of the biggest voices in conservative radio and i was like uh no that is not true we'll be right back
4: Freedom Hut rocks online, too. You can hang out with Team Buck anytime. Plus, get Buck's latest news and analysis. Go to BuckSexton.com. That's BuckSexton.com. Are you not entertained? The Buck is back.
3: North Korea is uh, in the news once again, this time for something other than belligerent behavior uh, with missiles and testing. Uh, University of Virginia student, this is from the Washington Post, University of Virginia student Otto uh, Warmbier, uh, who had been detained in North Korea for 17 months, uh, was to arrive home in Cincinnati on Tuesday night in a coma. His family stricken yet relieved to have him back, but his return a harbinger of more difficulties in the already tense relationship between Pyongyang and Washington. The Post writes: um, After a senior State Department official flew to Pyongyang to demand the 22-year-old's release on humanitarian grounds, he was flown out in a medical evacuation. His parents and siblings were waiting for him at a municipal airport in Cincinnati. We get to see our son Otto tonight, uh, Fred Warmbier said in an interview Tuesday morning after his son was evacuated. We'll be relieved to have him home and we are looking forward to surrounding him with people who love him. Uh, Warmbier's parents hadn't hadn't heard from or seen him since he was sentenced to 15 years in prison. Uh, with hard labor in March for attempting to steal a propaganda poster at the end of a five-day tour of North Korea. Oh, I'm happy this young man will be returned, although we are uh, also, of course, informed here that he is in a deep coma as he is being returned. And I'm sure our government is going to be asking some very uh, terse, I would hope, uh, questions about how that happened and what the North Korean government's responsibility for that may or may not be um, a few things. First so of all, I I am not someone anymore who has any interest in traveling to countries. That part of my life is, is for me is uh, I say this, but of course, professionally, I may end up in some some nasty places again. But I certainly don't choose in my uh, spare time to be in a country, you know, my free time on vacation, uh, where you have no rights. And the U.S. government, should things go wrong, has very little leverage, which is certainly the case in. Well, no one has any rights other than the regime in North Korea. Um, that's certainly the case there. Um, I, I've actually talked to friends about how, y- you know, you're in quite a quite a country when you get on an airplane from an international carrier to leave, and it almost feels like you're on a spaceship because you get that you get this sense of of cleanliness and technology and it's like you've returned to civilization if you've ever been in a really really dodgy place somewhere in the world for a period of time and then you finally get back on that plane to come home you may have this you may have this uh uh this realization this recognition and if you've been in a country where you have to watch everything you say and everything you do um because of concerns of running afoul of the government there are that many places where that's really the case but there are some um and you come back to america and you have such a new appreciation i think for for this place you know america when you've been in the when you spend time in the third world or what's called the developing world even, even for, forget about um you know fancy areas or lower income areas america is so clean and efficient and well run and orderly compared to so much of the rest of the world and it's one of the the good parts one of the uh good side effects of traveling to a nasty place is you really get to experience the the difference you understand what it means to be in a country where you you can't trust the police uh where the prospect of getting sick is made much worse not just of course by the higher uh levels of really scary diseases that tend to exist in poorer authoritarian countries, um, but also that if you needed medical care, it might make the situation even worse for you. Uh, these are anxieties that those of you who, like I said, have spent time in some of the uh, rougher corners of the globe certainly know, and and uh, maybe you get used to when you're there, but when you come back, you have a, quite a new appreciation for America. But But North Korea is is a uh, an outlier, even among the countries where uh, you could make a list of places that if you get into trouble, you're in a lot of trouble. We, we don't have diplomatic relations with them. We have a very uh, hostile relationship with North Korea. They're obviously under tremendous amount of sanctions. It's on a small list of countries where y- you're traveling there is uh, there's an inherent, there's inherent risk from the government. I mean, there's risks traveling anywhere, but, uh, from the government, North Korea, but I think North Korea also is a very important example for the world, um, that you can have a country of many millions of people that borders, well, a regional and, uh, aspiring global power like China on one side, and then a thriving and dynamic democracy with South Korea on the other, and you have this, I know people call it the hermit kingdom and Christopher Hitchens very uh, notably once described North Korea as a concentration camp above ground and a mass grave below it, but it is a reminder to all of us that government power completely unchecked can create a near-perfect tyranny. Uh, that the authoritarianism uh, warned about in Orwell's 1984, a book that uh, if I can give you 10 books that you have not read, I might even say five books that you have not read that I would just urge you to read, 1984 would be on that list. Certainly on, on the 10 books that you must read. if you, if you And by the way, it's not painful reading, meaning that it's not... Uh, it's not like you're plotting through, I know some people are, you know, they'll tell you, Buck, don't, how dare you? But some of the greats of Russian literature require a, an attention span and a quiet room. Uh, 1984 reads almost like a Hollywood screenplay in terms of how quickly it moves and, and it's, there's so many cultural touchstones, so many important references, uh, you know, newspeak and doublespeak and. Uh, the minutes hate and all you know we're always at war with uh, with this one country I mean you you go through it all and it's worth actually reading more than once, which I would say about very few books um, but North Korea is the real world manifestation of absolute government power without any individual rights without any checks and balances and so while it's horrific suffering uh, and I really do we, we all. On a humanitarian level, um, it's it's hurtful to think about what's going on in North Korea. It's one of those problems that the world has, and it's certainly not the only one, but you know, we think about the Syrian civil war and the suffering that's going on there. But the continuous, the endless suffering in North Korea is, is hard to wrap your mind around. It's hard to fathom. Um, and certainly so few of us get a chance to visit that we have no personal experience with it. But it is a reminder to us, and it really is a warning. Uh, North Korea is a cautionary tale, and in a similar vein or a similar way to how I bring up Venezuela, and that's mostly a story of, well, I was going to say it's a story of statist economics, but it's also a story of populist envy. Uh, The reason that the Maduro regime and before that the regime of Hugo Chavez was able to be, was able to come to power in the first place uh, and promise the Uh, completion of Bolivarian revolution and land redistributed to the people and fairness and no more of this parasitic uh, elite class just taking all the wealth for themselves. And uh, it was based, sure, then the decisions made to set prices and to engage in uh, statist manipulations of the economy just send it on a spiral. But there was a populist envy was a driver behind that, Um, telling the masses what they want to hear, giving them an excuse and also an enemy, uh, which, by the way, is straight out of 1984 as well. You must to control people. You want to create an enemy for them to hate. That's not you, especially if you're the one that is causing their problems. If you're the if you're the reason for the destruction of their freedom or the uh, elimination of their freedom, you have to make them think that there's some other problem, right? You have to externalize that. Anxiety, that fear, that anger. Um, so again, I mean, 1984 is is so very applicable. Interesting that you know Orwell was a, a socialist, but chose to go and, and a socialist who had his doubts about it, uh, to be sure. And I think the older he got, the more the more he realized that socialism wasn't really working out how he thought it would. Um, but he put his money where his mouth was, so to speak. He fought uh, in. Spain uh, in the uh, war against fascist Frank, uh, fascist Franco and that re- that regime, in fact, took a bullet in the neck uh, and memorialized this entire episode in his life in a very good but usually overlooked work by Orwell called uh, "Homage to Catalonia," which I would recommend to all of you. And you can see the disillusionment setting in when it comes to communism uh, and uh, the other collectivist group, you know, the anarchists, the socialists, the communists, all these groups fighting alongside each other and actually fighting against each other when the real enemy was supposed to be Franco's fascists, which certainly was, but there also was a lot of infighting. Um, And the Soviet Union's role, by the way, and all of that is a fascinating period of history as well and and how they handled uh, handled that. Um, That was one of the few times where the Soviets seemed to be on on the side of on the righteous side of the equation, until later on in World War II, uh, when they were supporting the anti Franco uh, forces. But I digress. Uh, North Korea, though, does stand as stark reminder that without freedoms, without a constitution to enshrine them, and without a population that is devoted to individual liberty, uh, you can. I mean, look, North Korea is at the is at the very end of the spectrum right it's the really the least free country on earth which is quite a distinction um but it shows us that here we are 2017 and a country exists where you could be as as a guest by the way as as somebody just visiting as as a curiosity you could receive 15 years in prison hard, with hard labor for trying to take a propaganda poster um that is Stunning, isn't it, when you really think about it, when you spend some time and think about how out of line that punishment is, how heartless, how cruel, um, how menacing this is for anybody else who would consider visiting, by the way. Now, uh, whether this individual took the poster or not, I mean, it's its a poster, it's a piece of paper, um, but North Korea is a place that has been infected with a uh, a disassociation from the very m- most basic attributes of our shared humanity I mean they the North Korean regime uh, is is barbaric and we all know that as we think about the future if North Korea gets a capability to deliver a nuclear missile against the U.S. homeland, we will be living in a very different world, I think, in terms of our security. That will be uh, a, situa- that's a situation I know we're trying to avoid, and that's why we have all these sanctions, but there are very real concerns about where that will lead. Um, so anyway, North Korea, I just wanted to update you that this young man uh, is being, has been returned or is in the process of being returned, but he is in a coma. And uh, North Korea, well, won't be held accountable for this in any meaningful sense, uh, I think. Um, but like I said, this is what happens when the state is allowed to run unchecked, and the state becomes its own it, it, the state becomes its own purpose, right? It does not exist to serve the people. The people exist to serve the state. We're going to hit a quick break here, team. We'll be right back. Well, I guess the House sometimes does some stuff. This coming from TheHill.com. The House passed legislation Tuesday to ensure that immigrants in the country illegally can't access tax credits for health insurance premiums. Uh, Representative Lou Barletta's bill uh, approved in a party line vote of 238 to 184 would require the Treasury Department to confirm that people applying for the tax credits are verified as U.S. citizens or legal residents by the Commissioner of Social Security or the Secretary of Homeland Security. A primary way to confirm an applicant's legal status would be through Social Security numbers, according to The Hill here. Uh, Can we just note for a second that this means that uh, 184 Democrats were voting against this measure, so I assume that means that it is now the— uh, position of the Democrat Party that even if you are in the country illegally, you should be able to get tax credits, which means taxpayer dollars, to buy health care on the uh, Obamacare insurance exchange uh, ex- exchanges across the country, uh, and which is you know so you're already you're already getting cross subsidized care, and now you're getting taxpayer dollars added to it as well. Um, at what point do we realize that we actually can't really afford the health care spending that's already happening in this country for for U.S. citizens? If we were to open this up, if we were to do what it seems to me the Democrats want us to do and allow for tax dollars to be used to buy insurance policies um, on the exchanges, uh, are, are we just going to insure the whole world? I mean, are we giving out free health care? What that really means, I suppose, is that we're giving out free health care to anybody who gets, or subsidized health care to anybody who comes here. One of the parts of the Hillary Clinton campaign, ah yes, the ill-fated Hillary Clinton round two presidential run, was that on her website she was saying that she thought that people regardless of immigration status should be able to get Credits to buy healthcare policies on the exchange. Now, it was, it is still a function. It is still on the books right now. Uh, immigration law that you cannot bring somebody in, or you're not supposed to bring anybody in who will be a public charge, who will be receiving welfare benefits. They only want individuals brought into the country via the immigration system, at least legally speaking who will be able to support themselves. Uh, But that's not what Democrats want. What I always find so uh, enlightening about the Democrat position on on any immigration-related issue is they always speak as though there are no immigration laws. They take whatever position is popular at any point in time, but you'll notice that when President Obama had the House and the Senate, uh, there was no effort. And early on in his term now, you could say they just focused on Obamacare, which there's some truth to that. But they didn't change the immigration laws. They did even try to change the immigration laws. Democrats prefer the status quo, really, until they can get amnesty. I mean, amnesty is the top goal. But the status quo is there are laws that they can point to and say, see, no, we we are in favor of of a sound and, and sensible immigration system. They, of course, want to reform it and change it and all the rest of it, but uh, th- they at least can pretend to believe in enforcement at some level because of what the laws say. But then publicly, they are, they are constantly encouraging uh, illegal immigration. They're constantly encouraging people to come to the country uh, illegally, to stay in the country if they're here illegally, um, and they just do it as, as a pure... Power play. I mean, this is just the most straightforward transactional politics. Uh, I mean, you see it first as it played out in the state of California, where whether it's expansion of the expansion of welfare benefits, um, and then schools for kids uh, of illegals, and then driver's licenses. Uh, Democrats would like to do this nationwide, Uh, but here they are. We were. This is a very worthwhile little uh, reminder, folks. We were told by Obama that there would that they would not allow illegals to buy into Obamacare. And that was almost a you could say that was almost a solemn promise of the Obama administration. And here we are, Democrats voting against it. So for those of us who were saying all along that this was just the beginning of any number of just endless problems that Obamacare will cause for our health care system, including, the crushing burden on the taxpayer that will come from, among other things, giving benefits to people that are not even legally in the country, um, yeah, that's where the discussion has now gone. We were promised it would never get here, and here we are. So yes, I know the Republicans in the House pushed this bill through, but the Democrats are voting against it, and Hillary wanted to get this going the other way. So just a reminder, as we already start to think a bit about the midterms and where the Trump administration is going, where all of us is going... Uh, the Democrats still want to complete Obama's fundamental transformation of the country that he promised and that he made some strides toward. And immigration is central to that whole promise and process. We'll hit a quick break, team. We'll be right back with Emily Zanotti of Heat Street. All right, everyone. It's that time of the night. Yes, Zanati time. Emily Zanati joins us. She is the political editor at Heat Street. She's got a lot of stuff to talk about. It's hot over at Heat Street, and it's hot in New York City. What's up, Emily?
8: This is hot general. Is it's it hot in Chicago? Right?
3: I mean, do you guys get to take off your mittens this time of year? Oh, what's up?
8: It's like 98 degrees. Is it
3: really? Oh, yeah, I, I, I always hear stories about like the snow and the freezingness. And this is what New Yorkers tell ourselves about why we don't want to move to Chicago and get like 50 percent more for our money in terms of real estate. But the audience doesn't need to hear about that. Let's go to the latest with Heat Street I'm like talking about Buck's real estate ideas. Um, let's go to the latest on HeatStreet.com. Uh, first off, Cindy McCain is headed to the State Department. What's going on there?
8: Yeah, that's what we hear. So obviously, John McCain hasn't exactly been a top fan of Donald Trump. He's been kind of a jerk. Let's put it that way. Just call he 's a jerk. Uh, but his wife, Cindy, is going to be apparently going to the State Department to become the State Department's expert on human trafficking. So she's going to be taking over sort of an at-large ambassadorship, where she's going to go around the world educating countries about how to stop human trafficking, how to stop sex trafficking. And this is an extension of work that she's been doing. And apparently Donald Trump is the one behind this. He's the one that really wants her in his administration. Oh,
3: all right. Fair enough. Um, so yeah. Sounds like she'll bring some, uh, some good skills and knowledge to that position. Uh, let's go to celebrity diplomats. Will Kid Rock, I mean, this is amazing. Kid Rock, who, by the way, I'm a fan <laughs> of, Scott Bayo and Dennis Rodman. Wait, Dennis Rodman? What's going on with Dennis, Dennis Rodman, Rodman on Trump's God. team?
8: So Dennis Rodman is the first of, we think, maybe many uh, celebrity diplomats. He's actually in North Korea right now trying to negotiate a better relationship with North Korea. So he's there. The Trump administration says they didn't officially send him. But we've been hearing rumors that they've been working with a close Trump associate who is Dennis Rodman. He was on Celebrity Apprentice. He was a supporter of of Donald Trump back in the election. Uh, And he's... Over there, trying to establish a warmer, fuzzier relationship with North Korea.
3: That's—wow. that's Okay. What's the Kid Rock update?
8: So we think maybe Kid Rock would be really good at negotiating with the European Union just because he's got this penchant for weird hats, and the Europeans kind of do. He likes a lot of flag clothing, which could be great as an ambassador abroad, you know, kind of bring the American flag to hipness in Europe.
3: Yeah, look I I am I am a Kid Rock I, I celebrate Kid Rock's whole catalog, you know? I I sell <laughs> it like Michael Bolton I'm from Detroit. That's by the way I'm my second office space so... reference of the show. I need to watch some more movies so I stopped. just By the way, somebody I don't know if you saw this Emily and this is neither here nor there, but I'm making it here and there. Somebody over okay. at Vice while they were twirling their ironic facial hair and comparing forearm tattoos, wrote something about how the movie Predator maybe stinks, and they didn't use the word stinks, uh, but I, because it was the 30th anniversary of Predator. I don't even know if you've seen this Schwarzenegger magnum opus, but can we just agree that it's amazing?
8: Familiar. I am. I am 100% willing to agree with you that Predator is amazing. I mean, get to the chopper is one of the best lines of all time. Get to
3: the chopper, absolutely, the absolutely. And, I mean, one of my personal favorites, what's the matter? The CIA's got you pushing too many pencils? The answer, by the way, <laughs> is yes. Uh, okay. that's like I can tell you guys, the CIA did have me pushing too many pencils. Um, so, okay, and I, I got us on Predator, Vice, uh, where else right. were we? Oh yes. Ivank. Oh wait, no, 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 no. We're having too much fun here and I'm forgetting. I needed to ask you because this is on heat And by the way, we're speaking to Emily Zanotti because it's Zanotti time. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's goop summit was as, ex- as insane as you might expect. Uh, explain to the audience, uh, goop Paltrow and what's going on here.
8: So Gwyneth Paltrow obviously is a Hollywood celebrity, used to be an A-list celebrity, but a couple of months ago she decided to retire from movies to work full-time for Goop, G-O-O-P, which is her lifestyle and health and wellness brand. And it might be the most amazing site on the internet. Like the, It has the weirdest advice, and you can go on Heat Street because I, I probably can't say what she talks about on the radio. But she loves to talk about crystals and healing and leeches. It's it's terrifying. But this last weekend, she had a summit where fans of Goop paid between five hundred and fifteen hundred dollars to go to LA to talk to Gwyneth Paltrow about all of her weird, like health and wellness ideas and. It's amazing. They had one wellness expert that said we don't know why birds fly. One that said we might be doing photosynthesis as a human. Um, there were a couple of leech-related items. It, it's pretty amazing.
3: Oh wow! Makes me want. Makes me want a goop. Um, I don't even know what is. What is a goop? By the way, does that mean something? Did I just say something I'm not supposed to say? What is a goop?
8: Like her website brand, Goop. Goop.
3: She, she just. Oh, okay. So it's like Gwyneth Paltrow's yeah. version of Google. It has no meaning until she imbues it with meaning. But well, c- can we agree that day. she's now become she's now become a a parody of a celebrity in an age of celebrity insanity? She, she's now reached the next yeah. level. Like I think the Kardashians are like. Um, at least we're not like Gwyneth Paltrow.
8: She's she's unbelievable. She just talks about things that make absolutely no sense. So she's just kind of a parody of herself at this point. And she walks around barefoot and just kind of looks all weird. So yeah, people are trying to distance themselves. From For those her.
3: listening, by the way, who are like Buck, why are you talking about celebrities? Gwyneth Paltrow. She did make the contribution to the English language of when you get divorced, you're not getting divorced. You are consciously uncoupling. Right. That's that's a Paltrowism. Yeah if you will speaking about celebrities and uh what they like to do in terms of saying stuff forget about that segue everybody uh Katy Perry uh to says she's working yeah. with minority artists like Kanye uh and Nicki Minaj I'm assuming to overcome yes. her white privilege explain this to me yeah
8: yeah Katy Perry is just She's in this terrible place right now. Her album isn't selling very well. She did a 48 hour live stream over the weekend that pretty much nobody watched. And so she had a confession session with DeRay McKees, who we all know from his work with Black Lives Matter and his love for puffy vests. She sat down with him and she confessed all of her sins against her white privilege and her cultural appropriation. And she says now she's going to make a better effort to share her platform with up and coming artists like Kanye West and Nicki Minaj, which is probably a surprise to Kanye West and Nicki Minaj, who are both multi-platinum artists in their own right. (laughs) How how
3: is this supposed to work exactly? Uh, How how is she uh, getting rid of or lessening or mitigating her white privilege? Uh, This this to me seems wrongheaded, even for Katy Perry.
8: Yeah, she just seems to think that if she confesses it and says it and puts it out there, that 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 somehow absolves her of the sin of cultural appropriation and white privilege, even though she claims that white privilege gave her the opportunity to become rich off of her pop music. But she doesn't seem to be going off into the woods and giving up all of the trappings of her amazing life, so obviously she's not too concerned with doing penance.
3: I do think it's fair to say that whenever a conservative gets in trouble— there's the I think I think there's the unfair uh, one, one of the unfair attacks that will happen if someone accuses a conservative right. of being racist is uh, if the conservative says, you know, a- anything about, well, what I've done for the black community or what I've said in the past about the black community that's been supportive and good. They go, oh, yeah, you have a few black friends you and that's and that's derogatory friends. meant you know to the person, meaning that, you know, they only, you know, oh, yeah, I've got a few black friends, so I'm allowed to get away with this. That's often said. I mean, Katy Perry is kind of saying, well, I spend more time with black people, therefore I'm less indulgent in my white privilege. That seems uh, in the same general milieu of like, this makes no sense.
8: Yeah, it's kind of weird because she really didn't get a lot of blowback for it. And people said that, oh, she's just doing this because she needs publicity. And that's that's correct. But she really didn't get blowback for saying, well, you know, I partner with these black artists, so obviously I'm not a racist and trying to steal their culture because they also make money off my music. But that isn't exactly a way of, you know... Pulling back from your white privilege. Well, that's yeah,
3: that's what I mean. I mean, if you're trying to get away from white privilege, it, it seems to me that saying, "Well, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna hang out with a couple of black colleagues or black friends," right. that's, uh, I mean, in another, you know, in other contexts people be like, "That's a little strange." But anyway, I guess that's yeah. what she's doing. <laughs> en- enough about Katy Perry for now. I do want to ask you uh your thoughts because uh, we talked about this a little earlier in the show. Your thoughts on. The, uh, by the way, we're speaking to Emily Zanotti, everybody. She is political editor at Heat Street. Heatstreet.com is a great site. A lot of fun stuff up there. Uh, Megan Kelly getting a lot, speaking yeah. of heat, getting a lot of heat for the uh, interview with the, the. well, it's already done, hasn't aired yet, with Alex yeah. Jones, who is, by the way, not uh, does not celebrate Buck Sexton's entire catalog. Not a fan of mine, apparently. Never <laughs> met the guy. But uh, so tell me, wh- what do you think about that decision and the blowback?
8: So this has been interesting because she was attacked by the parents of Sandy Hook children. So the children who were killed at Sandy Hook, she was supposed to actually give the keynote speech at the Newtown uh, every gu- every town gun violence sort of this this charity that promotes uh, gun restrictions, and they dropped her because they said she's basically promoting the guy who said Sandy Hook was a false flag. So it's, it's weird all around because. We already kind of knew Alex Jones was crazy. It wasn't some amazing revelation that came out of this Megyn Kelly interview. And certainly even Alex Jones is doing his best to try to downplay everything, saying that this interview with Megyn Kelly is really just propaganda and that it's just designed to take your attention away from Father's Day and some really weird comments. So this whole situation has spiraled downward in a bizarre manner. But Megyn Kelly is just trying to interview people who are really interesting. Now that's not how I would define Alex Jones, but hey, you never know.
3: Has he ever has he ever tangled with Zanotti? Has he ever tried to see? Has he ever tried to like you know say that you're part of the Illuminati or something? Because I know you know people
8: but I kind of want that like I kind of want to know that I'm part of the Illuminati with like Jay-Z and Kanye West that would make me seem so much cooler
3: yeah he referred to me as a, as, a, as a CIA plant hiding in plain sight because it said in my bio that I was former CIA I'm like I don't know if that's hiding in plain sight I think that's just in plain sight actually I think
8: that's just telling people that you're I think that's the just CIA. I think
3: that's just like a former part of my career that is uh, a matter of public record and so you know who cares um but, uh, but I digress. Um, so, uh, thank you so much, Ms. Zanotti, for joining us. Really appreciate it. Great to have you, as always.
8: No problem. Thanks for having me.
3: Uh, team, always good to have Emily Zanotti with us for all of the latest and greatest. Um, I want to also tell you that we're going to be getting into, oh, uh, I wanted to get into uh, what's going on with Shakespeare in the Park. A little update coming on that one. Uh, there is nothing that the left is uh, unwilling, it seems, to do in their efforts to outdo each other in their uh, craziness uh, when it comes to the arts and how they depict all this stuff. Uh, we went from Kathy Griffin in The Severed Head to now a mock assassination of Trump as Julius Caesar in Central Park and Shakespeare in the Park. I'll give you a little update on that, uh, and we'll close out the show here in just a few minutes. Stay with me, team. If you're in New York City, go see Julius Caesar, free in Central Park, brilliantly interpreted for Trump era, a masterpiece. That is a tweet from Fareed Zakaria, one of the uh, most prominent news anchors at CNN. And uh, Fareed is saying that this Trump production, or rather this Julius Caesar production where Caesar is in fact Trump and is uh, gruesomely assassinated on stage is uh, is brilliant. He thinks this is just great. And I just have to say, these anchors and these news people will turn around after this. And I, I know I mentioned this story to you uh, earlier in the week. I'm just following up on it now with you because they act like, these journalists act like when they say something on Twitter that shows their political bias, it can't be used to determine their political bias about all their reporting, right? So, so when Fareed Zakaria has an, an obvious double standard, no normal person would pretend that anyone would be okay with a similar theatrical production uh, of Julius Caesar with Obama instead of Trump in this situation. We all know that. So for Zakaria to say that this is fine and it's brilliant and he thinks it's great— just shows that you know, he, he has an antipathy, a dislike, a disdain, a hatred even for this president. And that comes across not just from uh, an errant tweet, but on his in his reporting. and and this is prominent among among many journalists. By the way, I had not yet seen video when I talked to you about it. I just seen still frames of the Julius Caesar. Trump uh, Shakespeare in the park production remember this is here in New York City in my hometown and I watched it and it's it's gruesome uh, I I don't know how you can have uh, prohibitions on threats against the president and then hide behind this artistic expression exemption uh, because any number of people now if somebody on their personal page on their personal Facebook page, Uh, created an image showing a gruesome assassination of the president. Would everyone be rushing to make excuses under artistic freedom? Uh, I know there's a tension here. I'm not uh, some barbarian who doesn't understand that artwork pushes the edge and is supposed to make people feel and perhaps even feel uncomfortable. But for me, it's not even an issue of the legality of this. Uh, I'm not saying that this should be... Uh, they should come down hard on this from a legal perspective, although I, know, I think some are making that argument. It just shows the uh, lack of esteem and lack of respect with which progressives in the creative fields have for this presidency. And, and not remember, not for this president, just for the presidency overall. When someone occupies the office that they don't like, Democrats, the left, liberals, statists— Uh, they all of a sudden lose all of the pretense of, oh, well, this is a president that is for both sides and this is somebody who is deserving of some very basic degree of of respect and there's some decorum and also just a certain dignity that one affords the, the, the office of the president and therefore the president who occupies it. That all goes out the window the moment we're talking about, well, a Republican, but in particular Trump, so this Julius Caesar thing with Trump as Caesar—it is a mock. Uh, it is a mock assassination on stage. It's disgraceful, and uh, the same First Amendment that they will immediately run to to say that this is free expression and this is the arts allows me to say, yeah, but it just shows how grotesquely um, childish and also completely uh, disrespectful the anti-Trump opposition really is, the resistance, as they call themselves, uh, have no boundaries and will respect no limitations, really, on, uh, well, their criticism of the president and his office, and it's just, it's a shame, but it's not surprising, my friends. All right, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for hanging out with me in the Freedom Hut. I have seen Freedom Hut mock-up t-shirts, by the way, so we're working on that. Please do download the podcast Go to Buck Sexton with America now on iTunes. We have a ton of show already planned out for the rest of the week, and much more will be added in with the news cycle. And I just want to say until tomorrow, as always, my friends, no matter what comes your way, Shields High.